This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome, everyone. This is your podcast, New Books in Economics and Business History. I'm your host, Javier Mejia from Stanford University. And today I have the great pleasure to be with Alberto Bissin. He's a professor of economics at New York University also fellow of the Econometric Society of NBR and many other uh, prestigious uh, research centers. And we're also with Giovanni Federico. He is professor of economic history at New York University in Abu Dhabi. He's also um, a very influential economic historian. He's the editor of the Economic History Review. And the two of them are the editors of a recently published book called The Handbook of Historical Economics. It's a fantastic um, product, and we're going to chat with them about, about it. So let me say hi to the two of them. Thanks a lot for being here, Alberto, Giovanni. Thank you for our invitation, of course. Thank you. Thank you. It's a great pleasure. Let's start maybe by talking a bit about about you. Um, could you tell us um, where did you grow up? How did you decided to become scholars? Why did you become interested in economic history? Let's talk a bit about that. Um, would you mind to start, Alberto? No, no, not at all. It's a pleasure. Um... So I was born in Milan, Italy, um, and I grew up in a small town of South Milan, which is called Bucinasco, which is mostly known for uh, the mafia uh, uh, presence, which started in the 70s and 80s. Um, and uh, so I come from a you know, lower middle class family. I went to school in Milan. Uh, I did classic studies. I wanted to 
do philosophy, um, to study philosophy. Uh, my father told me that, you know, philosophy was for people with independent money, uh, so I couldn't do that. And then <laughs> uh, I, was, I was, my father didn't go to university, I was a first-generation college. Um, and so I decided to go to Bocconi, which is, in Italy, is well-known uh, as an economic center, but mostly as a business school. Um, and I went there, and I couldn't really do business. I mean, I was just not cut for that. I really wanted to, you know, be an intellectual in some way. And uh, so I did economics, um, and then Bocconi was, uh, this was, uh, you know, in the late 80s, uh, Bocconi was, uh, you know, at the moment very well connected with the, or was the only place in Italy well connected with the U.S. They were sending good students for PhDs and so on, and so that's, I went. So I ended up in Chicago, I did a PhD in economics there. And my interest for economic inter- history, apart from, you know, an intellect- general intellectual interest, but as, as, a, as a researcher, is very recent. It's mostly, you know, it's mostly due to Giovanni, I would say. Um, you know, interesting guy. We started talking about all sorts of stuff. And I was going uh, with my research into things that could have been explained um, with history, and you, you will see from when we talk about the handbook. And so we started talking, and, that, and that's how it went. I really, you know, the, the first thing in historical economics that I did is certainly editing the book uh, with him. So that's, that's super interesting. What about you, Giovanni? We're going to get into the origins of this project in a bit, but let's let's a bit know. Let's first know a bit about your your background, Giovanni. Uh, well, my background is not very different from Alberto. Basically, I'm from a very, very small provincial town in Tuscany, and uh, which is called Montecatini. Uh, and um, I attended uh, uh, philosophy at the University of Pisa because just. Uh, uh, I was not so keen on philosophy, but uh, at the time there was not history in the Italian university as a, as a degree. And uh, I ended up, uh, I, I liked history, and I then ended up there because uh, there was, a, there still has, is an elite college at the University of Pisa, which is a scuola normale, which offers food and lodging to the students. And um, basically, I did want to escape from my small provincial town. So that was my best option to go away. And uh, when I arrived there, I realized the only interesting professor in uh, in uh, history was uh, uh, Luciano Cafagna, was an economic historian. So I started to work on economic history, and that was in the uh, 1970s, so yeah, much older than... Uh, Javier and Alberto, and then I have done economic history since then, uh, of course, uh, as a professional economic historian, first in uh, in Italy, and then I moved uh, quite recently to the New York University of Abu Dhabi. And the project, uh, actually, uh, uh, Alberto is uh, uh, not it's totally too modest about it, because basically it was a, a project which 
uh, Elsevier uh, started uh, as a part of this big series of handbook of economics, which is, has been going on since the 1970s, and this is quite big ones, and uh, uh, economic history, which has been for a long period of time a small field, a very highly specialized field in economics, uh, with uh, few practitioners all over the world has become quite fashionable among economic historians and economists. And so uh, uh, Alberto had already edited a very important book uh, on, that, uh, on that collection. And so he was asked uh, to, to, uh, to edit uh, this book about historical economics and then involved me just because to we are friends, basically, but it could have been done uh, by himself without my, with, with my help. And so we, what we try to do is give a balanced view of the, of the field, so, which is uh, still uh, uh, somehow divided between economic historians, who are not that much historians, most of them have economics training. I'm a, one of the bad, uh, bad apples in this, but uh, uh, basically are uh, a group which has been going on since the 1960s, 1970s with their own reviews and, and economists who have been converted or at least uh, started to show interest in economic history uh, most uh, more, more recently and have a slightly different uh, type of research approach, slightly different uh, type of research questions. And so the, the book is a collaboration also because it's, it's a joint work between two, friend, two people who are coming from different backgrounds. One coming from economics with interest in economic history because they show, he thinks it's an important field, and another who has always has been an economic historian and by definition thinks that economic history is, a, is an important or at least a, a, important enough to, to, to work on it for his lifetime. That was in a very, very short view words the, the origin of the project. That's that's very interesting, and I'm um, a bit surprised about the common elements in in your history, right? This interest for philosophy and how somehow you manage still to get together and and, and do a project like this. Um, but so I'm and I'm also curious about what you were mentioning, Giovanni, in terms of how the book uh, was eventually put together and how you decided to pick the authors and the topics. But before that. Why don't you tell us what is historical economics, right? Like, what, what is this specific concept? I think you tried to define the term in, in the book as a very concrete concept. Um, tell us a bit about that. Why not talking about economic history or how is this different from economic history? Is this a different field, a different approach to the same field? Uh, tell, tell me a bit about that. Maybe I go. Um, yes, so Giovanni already started mentioning this. Um, so economists have gotten, of course, economists are interested in history, always been interested in history, but, um, you know, economists are historians with, with a bit more math than, than the basic historian. But so 
we've always been interested in history, but um, but more recently, I think the last twenty years, economists have started using historical data um, at a at a at a level that we have, haven't done before. Okay, and uh, uh, in in a sense, that's economics. In a sense, uh, you know, the work of Darona Semoglu, Jim Robinson, um, Andre Schleifer, other people, right? So, in in a sense, these are economists doing economics using historical data. And like economists normally are, we tend to be, you know, there's this term imperialistic, okay? So we, we jump into others' field and, you know, break them apart and restart. And sometimes we, we rediscover hot water, but um, that's really what people have done, okay? Economists have done. Um, economic historians, of course, uh, tend to be defensive, um, in some sense defensive, like it's natural. In some sense, they are annoyed by, you know, this this thing. You know, economists tend to, you know, come to this, to, to other fields um, very violently in a rhetorical way, okay? So um, not that much connection between economic historians uh, and economists doing history or using history. Uh, historical data. Um, and that's a problem, obviously, like it is always, um, right? So I have been, I have been working a lot, let's say, at the boundary between economics and sociology or even anthropology, if you want, and stuff which has to do with uh, culture, cultural transmission and things of this sort. And, you know, the problem there is the same, very hard to talk to sociologists, sociologists don't like us, um, the sociologists and anthropologists doing this kind of work don't like us. Um, for for obvious reasons. So this time when I started thinking about history, I thought, you know, um, it makes sense to start to try and, and open up, okay, to start to start and 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 start and listening to to the complaints of the historians um, uh, earlier rather than later uh, in the process. And and, and and Giovanni complains a lot, so I, I like I like that very much. So, you know, I've known Giovanni for, for a long time before. So, you know, we were talking about these things. And then when, uh, as, as Giovanni was saying, when Alcevira asked me uh, if I wanted to, to do another handbook, I thought, you know, this is a fantastic opportunity because uh, differently from what Giovanni said, of course, I could not do this by myself. Um, I could have done something by myself. That's true. I mean, I could have had, I, I could have... Uh, 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 have done a, a handbook on on whatever economists doing history, uh, but they wouldn't have had the historians. Okay, so and 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 the key here uh, was this. And so the term, as you're saying, historical economics was our attempt uh, to say there is something new. It's not economic history. It's not economics. It's something in the middle. It's something that it's happening right now and in in, our, in in some sense it's not happening the way we would like it to happen methodologically so that was the whole so we tried to coin i don't know if we did coin this term but you know we used this term um there's something else called called um historical political economy a lot of people are doing this and in some sense that's what we're doing i mean it's a little broader the handbook than historical but there's not only political economy but there's also that um so that's the idea. So we wanted a term uh, which conveyed the fact that there's a lot of economics, there's a lot of economic history, but it's uh, it's it's something new. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let me add a couple of pieces of information, and then uh, I will uh, react. 
The first piece of information is that historical economics uh, it has a long tradition. Uh, there is a, uh, basically uh, is a there is a, 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 a historical economic society in Europe, which I was has been president. Uh, basically, it was coined in the 1980s uh, in order to stress uh, that uh, these people were in uh, definition, in our definition, economic historian, were different from traditional economic historians, who are much more historians. And so it was stressing that uh, this type of, this brand of history, which has been started in the 1960s in the United States, was different from traditional economic history, was m- much more historical than... Uh, um, and so it was a novel thing for continental Europe. We are speaking about continental Europe mostly, rather than UK, of course, rather than United States, where the economic this brand of economic history had been had won the meteorological battle uh, much earlier. And uh, uh, the key point uh, I would like to stress uh, is that uh, what really differs is not the type of methodology. Uh, between economic historians and some economists, but is a research question. So what uh, Athemoglu is doing, basically, is economics in the very simple sense that he's, uh, visible meaning, sorry, that he's interested in uh, present-day issues. I want to understand uh, what, why, which were the uh, economic ru- historical roots of uh, X, which is X uh, nowadays outcome. Uh, uh, so the very famous article by Semoglu, uh, Johnson and Robinson, which has been the start of this uh, big boom in economic history or interest in economic in history by co- economists, is uh, the colonial origin of uh, development. So basically, how much. Uh, the colonial uh, experience shaped the, the different outcome of poor countries now and rich countries now. And this is different from what I think is economic history, because economic history maybe is not so interesting for economists, but the key point is that they are interested in history per se. Uh, of course, my work as economic historian have uh, uh, may have impact of uh, may be useful to understand the present, but it is not my main aim. When I, I do not write, but I say someone writes, which were the causes of industrial revolution, which has been clearly the most important fact in uh, in economic history after the Neolithic Revolution. Uh, clearly. Of course, the economic industrial revolutions create, shaped the modern world uh, in any reason, any way you can list them in uh, social, uh, uh, cultural, economics, whatever. But uh, I am not interested in, in the con- present day consequence. I am interested why it was England in uh, 1750 and not France in 1750 and not China in 1300. And uh, so this is the very, uh, the real difference. And I think that uh, uh, the, the book, just to speak, uh, has, is uh, interesting from this point of view because it considers, uh, of course, it's impossible to take into account the whole research uh, because, of course, uh, even if the book is big, uh, we have limits about the 
constraint about the size. But we try to give a, a, a broad view of both uh, methodologies, uh, but also results, research results in different types. So there are chapters which are more about historical facts, historical re- outcome, historical research, and chapters which are focusing on this uh, economic economist's approach, which is often called persistent studies. So just to show which is the long-term effect of, uh, of historical facts, events, uh, or whatever, to the to present, or uh, so how, how long they was persistent. So historical economics has a long tradition, but uh, now we intend something which is a, a broadly, uh, broader uh, uh, a broader field which encompasses some economic history, or economic history which is more inspired by economics methodology, and some economics which is uh, uh, at least interested in historical events and historical data. That's, that's why we try to use this midway, uh, midway type of uh, definition of the field. Uh, just for, uh, our introduction is called merger acqui- or uh, acquisition exactly for this because we try there to uh, argue that uh, uh, we have we need a merger so that the two the best parts of the two fields merge together in a new synthesis rather than acquisition by economists of that okay telling to historians okay give give us our data we will do the really important and relevant stuff Yes. Can I, can I make one one comment? So yeah. So obviously Giovanni thinks of his, so I think of historical economics as something new. He thinks of something that it's historically you know determined. Okay. So we're going back. Yeah. He says, so yeah. Of course, there was historical economics in the sixties. No. Uh, just one comment on what he said, which um, you know, I'm just commenting. Um, which is interesting. Which is uh, you know. It, it, it's a little. I agree with him, of course. Uh, I mean, we agree with the world this together. But that that um, a lot of history, or what we call historical economics, is motivated by questions um, which are standard economic questions, uh, right? Uh, as he says, about the present. Okay, not about uh, historical facts. Now, um, a lot of these questions, in fact, starting from from the the colonial origin paper are questions that I would want to say are, are economists refer to as economic growth, right? So we had, uh, you know, um, new growth theory in the 80s, and this is new, new growth theory where, you know, we are going much, you know, in the 80s, we're thinking about urban agglomeration or, uh, you know, R&D or things of this sort as explaining growth. And now we're going much, much more, uh, back in history, and we think about culture, institution, and things of this sort. So, so uh, the, the, the example that he was making, the, the, the Industrial Revolution, is, is important because, and, and it's interesting, and it gives you a lot of subtlety here because, yes, it's true that understanding historical Industrial Revolution is understanding an historical fact, England 1750, but really economists think of it as understanding growth. Okay, so. Uh, when when economists do uh, or or read or think or do work on industrial revolution, historical economists would say, right? So what they are after is 
Was it culture? Was it institution? How was it both? And that's because we're thinking about culture and institution as fundamental phenomenon, phenomena in explaining growth, uh, in explaining current development in any case, independently from the Industrial Revolution per se, but we think that there might be some mapping between institution, for instance, between institution and growth that we're interested in generally to understand this phenomenon now, right? Uh, let, let, let me follow up um, like in that direction when you um, signal how um, a good part of what economists add to this conversation is uh, coming from a conceptual point of view of how to think about these issues. Um, there's one thing that it's uh, structural in economic training, which is to think about things from a formal perspective, right? Um, and I want to ask you this specifically, Alberto, because you have this background in, in theory. What's then the the space of formal theory in in this uh, research agenda or in, in this field of, of historical economics? Yes. So that's a that's a fantastic question. Uh, at least for me, it's really the core. In some sense, it's it's the core of my interest here. Um, so. First of all, economists in many fields uh, outside of historical economics are divided about the role of models in empirical work. Okay, So economists write down models, but sometimes we estimate directly these models, and we refer to this as structural methods. And sometimes we don't uh, estimate directly the model, but we, we are... We're doing reduced form analysis, right? Typically some sort of regression. And then, of course, with these instruments and other sophisticated techniques to understand exogenity. So most of the work in historical economics, I would say, is of this second kind. Okay, so it's uh, when, when Giovanni was talking about persistent studies, uh, persistent studies are typically, um, you know, regressions, again, with all the... Uh, bells and whistle of doing this right, but regressions uh, of the, of uh, phenomena or data in the historical past um, on uh, something you know, current. Okay, so um, uh, so 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 there's no. There's typically data points back in history, and right now there's nothing in the middle, or very little in the middle, if there is anything. Um, and okay, and 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 the the methods are are sophisticated statistical methods, but not structured. So there are no direct models, for instance, of the dynamic of some the, the dynamics of some variable over history. Okay, so. My personal point of view is that there's a lot to be learned in historical economics uh, by writing down formal models and trying as much as possible with the, all the limitation of modeling on one side and of the data on the other, trying as, as much as possible um, to use all the properties of these models, of the whole dynamics, to understand historical phenomena and to understand how historical phenomena affect uh, current day variables. Okay, so in the book we have tried hard um, to find um, you know examples of this. So we have a few chapters um, uh, uh, which are more structural. Okay, and and, uh, and and this is because we wanted to signal uh, the the book has a 
quite a bit of, of methodological chapters. Um, and so we wanted to signal that, you know, that's a direction that it's interesting to explore. Okay. And so um, things, uh, so people have done structural work in history, if you wish. Um, typically, these are macro, a lot of this, and we have a couple of chapters, these are macroeconomists studying, um, you know, again, growth or the Great Depressions or things of this sort. They've used models, they've used the standard models macroeconomists use to understand, for instance, the causes of the Great Depression and things of this sort, right? So um, there is much less about uh, modeling uh, long-run history, okay? Um, this is that kind of work, of course. So I personally have done, that's how I got into to historical economics. That's, you know, I've been interested in, in models of cultural transformation and institutional dynamics. Um, like, uh, of course, before me, Darona Semoglu, Jim Robinson, they've also written down these models. But then when they do empirical work, they don't, they, you know, they, they're motivated by their models, but they're, they're not using their models directly in the empirical work. Um, I would like uh, I think that's interesting to do. I would like to do that if I can, as much as I can. I haven't done it yet, but I would love to go that there, right? So that is, in, in some sense, that's why I'm saying, you know, fantastic question from my point of view, because that's really where my heart stands. Yeah, may I uh, add a couple of... Uh, I, I I think it's very... Uh, uh, I fully agree with uh, Alberto because one of the problems from the point of view economic historian of this approach, economist approach a la Hasemoglu Roberts is that they pretend uh, uh, I mean to, to extract uh, from data uh, for very, very imperfect data very strong relations. So this type of approach has been uh, uh, is uh, deeply influenced what is called in economics the credibility revolution, which is basically a type of econometric approach was, which was born in labor economics where you have plenty of very good data about very micro data, about individuals, preferences, whatever. And so you can uh, uh, not, not have a, a strong uh, a strong theoretical approach because the data are so good that they can substitute for good theory. Uh, in economic history, unfortunately, data are not so good, and especially the data are, are a lot of important data are missing uh, because, of course, we do not have the information. We are not the statistical uh, offices which can produce data for a, a large number of reasons, and so something to strengthen the uh, the. Uh, if the econometric inferences is much more needed there than in uh, labor economics of the uh, 1990s or 2010, where you have very good data. And uh, of course, that's much, very much difficult. I have to say that uh, the use of models in economic history, and I'm not speaking about now modern persistent study or historical, was, was much more diffused. Uh, uh, of course, were simple models uh, for simple questions in the 1970s and 1980s, exactly for this reason. Uh, 
Bob Fogel got the Nobel Prize for economics, so I mean, for uh, uh, their work on railroads uh, and on slavery. In both cases, they had plenty of formal and informal economic reasoning and very little or not at all econometrics. Exactly because the 1960s and 1970s, mainstream economics were quite developed, Eco- econometrics and data data are not, were not so that developed. So he had to, uh, to think hard with models within the limits in order to uh, achieve uh, economic history results, which are, I mean, if he got the Nobel Prize, we have to suppose that the results were good. So I think that uh, using uh, returning to some structural theory is very important. Maybe not uh, is a very different task, very difficult task, but I think is very important task. This, this is very interesting and very inspiring in a certain way for those of us that um, do formal theory um, to understand history as. Um, my guy myself has been exposed to um, a bunch of settings in which I feel somehow misunderstood, right? Uh, a certain community among economic historians that do not seem to appreciate much um, uh, theory. But uh, I think that's one of the fascinating things of, of the book, which is that it defines in a certain way how probably things should be done in the future, right? It has a bit of an aspirational dimension, which I I found very interesting. Um, But I want to push a bit uh, further into something that you mentioned, Giovanni, right? Regarding the quality of the data I use in some of this um, research, um, mostly coming from economics and economic history, right? So you talk about imperfect data, right? And you've spent... Uh, a lot of time working uh, in archives and collecting data. What do you think is the space of that type of endeavor in, in, this, uh, in this agenda, right? Of spending a lot of resources, paying attention that the data is well collected, that is precise, that uh, it's not biased by the process of the collection. Tell, tell us a bit about that. Yeah, okay. I think that that's a, this is a very interesting point I would like to stress. Uh, and then harks back to my uh, training. Of course, being trained as a historian, of course, I don't know uh, much about economics and about econometrics, but uh, I am uh, uh, much better in building data. Uh, databases. I've done a huge database on trade uh, in the 19th and uh, early 20th century. Now I've finishing finished basically another huge database about population in from 1800 onwards. Because I think that good data are important, and uh, is uh, economists are not very good at uh, uh, basically. Uh, their attitude is that, okay, I have to produce my own data, but uh, uh, once I produce my novel, wonderful, interesting database about X, 
and of course X is a specific issue they are dealing with, then I can uh, I do not have time to to worry about whether data on population or whatever type of data controls they were using are good or not. There is a famous uh, uh, I mean. The, I do not want to enter in uh, nasty details, but there are plenty of uh, examples about economies who are picking the first data they can get without bothering whether they are good or not. Uh, also because they attitude, yes, okay, okay, the data might be wrong, but uh, everything ends up in the error. So basically, uh, the, if the uh, average uh, is uh, zero, the average error is zero, the variance of the error is not that much important. And whilst there is a huge problem of biases uh, and, uh, in data. And so I have the, always the, the, the example of Angus Madison, who was, uh, uh, everyone knows his uh, Madison database, which has been a widely used resources by any economist. I was a friend of him. Of course, he was a big Madison. I was a young, young boy at the time. But I always uh, stressed the importance of having good data and that producing good data is a service to the profession. Maybe you, you will not earn you a paper on American Economic Review, but in the long run, it's much more useful than the, the 25th Nazi uh, or very very uh, brilliant uh, economic paper than uh, you can might produce. So I think the good data. And uh, last point, there are plenty of sources around. Of course, uh, there are sources that are imperfect, uh, sources are lacking, but if you look carefully and uh, you've, uh, you uh, work hard, you can produce a surprisingly good, uh, surprising large number of data and uh, even good ones, at least better, better than uh, um, many widely used databases. So I think this is a, a part which the profession should reward much more. Because clearly, the, because clearly, uh, I mean, uh, if you try to publish a database or say you or spend your PhD dissertation producing a very good database on, I don't know, industrial production in China, uh, maybe you can get one paper, uh, but uh, the database will be very helpful for a lo large number of other people. If you produce a very brilliant uh, 25th paper about uh, culture institution with uh, reworking the same old data, well, unless you're a genius, uh, probably your, your paper will be forgotten in five years' time because there will be the 26th, the 27th, 28th, the 30th paper always uh, re reworking with the same data. I agree with this, right? That the fact that there's this heroic um, element to the collection of historical data that is not very well appreciated by uh, by the community. Um, but I would like to know actually your opinion on, on that and, and more specifically about how we're experiencing this technological revolution that um, is not only making much more efficient the collection of, of data. So I spent um, years working in archives in Colombia, for instance. And now I know that the same type of work that I did, uh, now I could do it in 
a handful of months or something using the current technology. And I'm talking about uh, methods to digitalize information, to transcribe that information, etc. So it seems like I have the impression that this is going to dramatically change the the field. And I would like to hear your, your opinion that uh, maybe... Uh, Giovanni, you can start, but I would also like to hear what Alberto wants to say, but go on, Giovanni. Yeah, I mean, uh, of course, now the world is much, much better than uh, even 10 years ago. I mean, the amount of resources which is uh, can be available and the techniques are much better. And, of course, with OCR and uh, all this type of stuff, you can produce and, uh, I mean, collect, physically collect much easier a lot of data, which we know there was, but it had been very difficult because coping data by hand, which I've done for a long period of time, is uh, too low. But uh, so the world is much, much better from this point of view. But there is one point which I would like to to remind, that uh, the instinct for data is uh, uh, something which uh, uh, which people create by experience on the with on the job training whether a data is plausible or not whether the data and uh, uh, whether the statistical sources are reliable or not uh, I, I mean tax the record for instance it's very easy to digitalize the large number of tax records i mean in many countries. But the key point is that whether they are biased, how much they are biased, and which direction, usually downwards are biased, then you need the skill, some skill, historical skills. And this so cannot be acquired simply coping, having photocopied the data, PDFs, and sent to Indians. Because that's, uh, this is easy to do. A lot of economists are doing this, but uh, then you end up with uh, data which are uh, many more of them, but are, ba- are bad as well, if you do not consider which bi- how biased they are. And so this is a, a skill which uh, must be mastered in order to, go, to do good work with the data. What's your take on this, Alberto? I would like to maybe add a dimension of it, which is the use of machine learning techniques to extract additional information from the data collected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, of course I agree. Uh, there's various dimensions here. Um, one is, uh, it, it's much easier, of course. Okay, so uh, collecting data is easier, and, and as a consequence, there's more data, and people will collect more data. And uh, of course, I agree with Giovanni. I, I, as I said, I learned from him, from him complaining, uh, you know, a lot of subtleties about data. I think he is absolutely right that economists tend to, we are used to not, really, we don't have typically an issue of the quality of data. We might have no data about something and it's a problem. But, you know, a data set, it's a data set, Okay. Um, it might not fit well the, your question, so you might have bad data in the sense that the data that it, it's not the right data to um, you know to understand your question. But the data point is the data point, right? Uh, for an economist, um, 
Giovanni, you know, when when he when he discusses a data set, he has that particular data point which you know has been made up, and the other one which works. And you know, he he has literally really a sense um, of the quality of the data point, not just the data set. You see what I mean, right? So. You know, we know there's a there's a you know population data. We know a lot about these countries, but not about that. There's distribution of wealth. Recently, we're discussing distribution of wealth. You know, yes, there's more about wealth. There's less less about income, and the the, the data point on wealth are are much so much better than the data points about income. Okay, so uh, this is all uh, stuff that, uh, as he said, you know, you need a professional to do. But having said that, uh, no doubt there is more data. Um, the the aspect and so that's only good, okay. Um, the aspect uh, which is important, which is what you also important, which you so we were saying is there is really new data, okay. It's not just more; it's new kind of data. Um, in the book, we have a couple of chapters about archaeological data, ethnographic data that now economists are starting to use, and on top of that. There's the issue of machine learning. There's the issue of, you know, this, this um, automatized methods to collect data. Um, a lot of, a lot of new, uh, a lot of new stuff. It's incre- It's really incredibly useful and fascinating. Now, uh, uh, for instance, uh, you know, text analysis in machine learning, there's a lot of use of this um, in history, but also more general in economics. Um, Incredibly useful, a lot of data, a lot of it is descriptive. Okay, so economists tend to, you know, um, raise their eyebrows when when uh, when they see descriptive uh, papers, descriptive analysis. Right, we try to understand um, mechanisms, uh, relationships, rather than describe them. Okay, so. Um, we're still not there with a lot of this data. We're still not there in uh, in using them in forms um, that we'd like. But in part, this is because you know it's new. Okay, a lot of work uh, goes into uh, into coming up with the data, into constructing it in intelligent ways. Recently, I've seen. Um, uh, people on top of text analysis doing uh, uh, pictures and analysis of, of, of uh, visual data, right? So incredibly useful. Um, you know, I, 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 I'd love to, to, to understand more about this. Um, and, 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 you know, what can, how can I say? So to the, for the moment, I think a lot of this stuff is descriptive and it's very useful and we'd lo- we love to see it and we should, you know, incentivize the collection of this data. Um, at the same time, you know, uh, they're not changing the way we think, we think about stuff enough because, uh, because it's descriptive. Um, now, there's one thing that I always thought, you know, one way to think about this that I always thought would be, would be interesting and never really, you know, thought harder apart from the name, right? So uh, going back to the issue of models, uh, you know, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's an underlying question, not necessarily historical ecology, but in the use of this new data, in the use of large data set, uh, it's whether, you know, data and, and models are, are, are complements or substitutes, right? So 
and a, a lot of economics, not in historical economics, but a lot of economics nowadays, you know, there's so much data that people argue, well, we don't need models anymore. We, we have the data to answer ourselves, to answer questions, right? So I, I, I tend to be, of course, as you already <laughs> have seen from what they say, um, to be on the other side, that the more data you have, the more models you need, um, right? Um, but, you know, but, but, but this is just my prior. I don't have any, any, any substantial argument there. But I, 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 that's, that's an issue that I think it's important and, and we'll go more into. And how do you think that this is going to play out in the future? I'm, I'm curious here about how you perceive the future of the discipline is evolving, right? Like in 20 years, how do you think that a uh, standard paper in economic history would look like, would look a bit as you think is fitting in this uh, historical economics narrative? Do you think that there's space in that future for this conventional, more historian's approach that the past matters on its own? How, how do you forecast that, uh, that uh, scenario of the discipline? Let me try. Um, yeah, of course, uh, of course, I don't know. I mean, when you ask these kind of questions, you, you tend to you tend to express a wishful thinking more than you know more than than a forecast. Okay, so uh, you already know that that, that uh, my wishful thinking is uh, much more so it, much more modeling of narratives. I mean, historians uh, maybe not. You know. I'll, I'll, Historians are very good um, at, apart from what Giovanni was saying, finding data and studying data, um, are very good at, at writing down narratives and thinking about narratives. And narratives for economists are models. And uh, I think, uh, I think, uh, uh, right, so I think a, a, a closer contact between these narratives and the data that support these narratives, it, it's helpful. And I see, um, and I kind of see the field going that way, okay? Uh, I, I am sure it will go that way much less than I would like <laughs> to go that way. But, but I think it will. I mean, I, I see a lot of, in the book, but not in our book, in the handbook, but not only there, I see a lot of people uh, thinking, rethinking persistent studies from a methodological point of view. Okay, so I have a chapter in the book, I should say, so uh, on this. So I, I'm, I'm partial, um, uh, but but Joachim Bott, who's uh, somebody who's maybe has written the most famous and important persistent studies, the one on uh, on um, Nazi political attitudes. Okay, um, explained um, going back to the to the Black Death. Okay, so. Um, he is also complaining about persistent studies in, in the book, right? So he has a methodological uh, chapter on that. I think, you know, you can have, we have very specific complaints, methodological complaints. But in the end, I think these complaints are boiled down to the fact that um, there is no, it's very hard to, it's very hard to come up with the beginning of history it's 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 not hard. It's kind of stupid. <laughs> okay, so um, 
So saying, you know, you st- there is, you want to explain a phenomenon now and you say, oh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's explained on what happened in 1332, uh, maybe. Uh, but, you know, but then in, in 512, there was also something relevant. Okay, so it, it, it's just silly. And, and it's, it, okay, so that's one point. And the second point, even if you find something relevant in 1322, um, what happened in the middle between then and now, it's got to be important in many ways. Um, and so I think in some way, that's where we're going, right? Now, whether we put more data, whether we, um, you know, trace models to, to, to have models to understand what happens in the middle, um, jointly with new data, I think that's where we're going. That's where, you know, um, common sense will, will take you. Okay, and and um, yeah, I think I, I I hope that's where we're going, and I think in some way that's where we're going. Uh, how much I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Uh, basically, I don't. First, I don't know. I mean, predict predicts the future. I think that uh, we have to discuss, distinguish between predicting what will happen in economic history. It says that I suppose that uh, there will be people who study, I don't know how many, probably a few of them who could go on studying uh, econo- history for the sake of history and uh, sake to understand what happened in the economics in the past. Uh, I don't know what, which impact these people, people like myself, they will produce data, they will uh, uh, go on expanding. One point is that we are uh, we started with uh, um, economic uh, economics issues in a very narrow so GDP, trade, whatever, and now there is much more interest in, uh, for instance, demographic, uh, health issues, uh, social issues, and so this one, and hope that will go on. I don't know what will happen with the persistent studies with economists, because... Uh, I mean, uh, I don't know whether they will become a permanent feature among economists. So there will be a subfield in economics called historical economics with people trying to, I mean, use systematically historical evidence to understand the present or to understand. Or that will be a fashion will fade as other fashion in, in the, so basically, uh, and, uh, that's, uh, it's very difficult to predict, uh, whether there will be the, the merger which we are hoping or the, these two fields will remain uh, separate as they are still mostly still now i mean we hope that we, our book would be helpful to uh, to co- to get them closer to each other but I mean, it's still far from uh, from achieved. I mean, uh, if you speak to ask to economists, uh, name of economic historians uh, who are not public, uh, who are not uh, in the in the persistent studies uh, uh, business, I think that most of them will be totally unknown. I mean, to to economists, economists, or most of them, yeah. But who knows, basically. I hope that the good good work will go on because the good work is always useful and rewarding for people who are doing it. But uh, I don't know how much, 1%, 10%, 100%, uh, I don't know.
Yeah, well, I I share your optimism, Giovanni. Um, let me ask you one one final question, and I ask this to all my guests um, because, um, and I think this is the case both in economic history and economics, and pretty much in every other social science. The there are a bunch of incentives to publish articles, right? And um, it seems to be somewhat. Um, weird to uh, have people writing books, right? You wrote a book. This is a handbook, which it's a very specific type of book, but, but it's still a book. And the question is then why writing books, right? Like what, what do you think is the purpose of them? What's the space that they have in the scientific community? Um, and how do you think that um, scholars should think about um, the production of books and, and its contribution, the knowledge generation. Uh, should I go first? Um, yeah, I think I think you're right. Uh, incentives uh, matter a lot, and then somehow incentives are often you know based on social norms. Uh, this is certainly the case in economics. There is certainly very little incentives in writing a book for a young scholar. Uh, we went from, you know, economists used to write books, um, and now they don't. There is no way. I, anybody, any, anybody old like me will tell a, a young uh, a young colleague who wants to write a book, don't do that. I mean, you know, you're not going to get tenure. It's, uh, it's very hard to already to get tenure because the publishing process is, is really very long. Um, and uh, if you think about writing a book, it's just suicide, academic suicide, really. Okay, so uh, one example, which I think is kind of interesting, even though, you know, the, 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 it's, it's written in a... In a no, um, um, somehow unpleasant way, but the introduction, if you think about the introduction of uh, Thomas Piketty's book um, on inequality, the first one, I mean, the, the, the big one, uh, he has an introduction where he says, he went back, I, I, I went back to France because only in France I could write a book and, and, and you know, and, and do this, and I had this very long-run plan, and, you know, and it's annoying if you're in the U.S. because he's, he's really criticizing the U.S., but He's really right. I mean, there is no way even somebody as good as Thomas could have uh, made a career uh, working essentially 10 years or how much how long he worked uh, writing a book, even a fundamental book like the one he did. Okay, so um, there is no doubt. And uh, as I'm implicitly saying, I think this is costly for the profession. There are things that require uh, book-length work, Okay. Um, and I don't, I don't see much, you know, in terms of uh, changing this norm. I think uh, that's the norm um, we go with as economists. I mean, later on, after you have tenure, you can do that. And you do that, and people do that less, maybe, than optimal, but people do that. Um, and that's okay, but early on, it's harder. Now, there's one other thing, though, that I would like to say, which is, in a way, though, economy, I mean, the way we write papers, sometimes paper now are 120 pages long, and there's a whole 
discussion with referees and they get changed so many times and you know they, they are little books okay um often not always i mean some you can also write short papers which make a very precise points but a lot of time we write papers which are books i mean which are short books um so maybe that's why i don't know um uh, i don't I, i don't know what's the optimal trade off there okay um but but we we do write things which have which are not books but you know they have a breath papers which have a lot of breath okay um and and uh, okay but 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 uh, but i think I, i i love i mean i i i personally like to uh go go more towards books uh, i should say though for instance even in my case um you know i've done a lot of work on cultural transmission with a with a co-author of my Thierry Verdier. we've been working on this for for 20 years at least maybe more uh and we always said you know we have a book we need a book we need to write a book and it'd be nice and if we write a book we would write in a way that uh, exactly this is at the boundary of sociology political science anthropology so we would write a book uh, which you know people in this field in other social sciences would uh, read and appreciate maybe and we never find the time because it's a lot it's a lot of work and uh, even at our stage which we are old um there's not that you know it takes a book like this would take a long time it would take us out of the publishing process and the writing papers process uh, for a couple of years maybe and uh, if you're as um, effective and efficient as uh, you know Darona Semoglu you can do that uh, we can't um and so you know we ended up not writing we will at some point but it'll be too late yeah I fully agree. The first point is that uh, it's a problem of economists. So basically an incentive to young economists. I'd like to add a, small, a couple of small points. Uh, first, uh, there is a scope uh, uh, to, to, for books written by old people. I mean, tenured people. Clearly, before tenure, there is no, no way to publish a book and being... Uh, Uh, being tenured, at least in most economics departments in the world. Uh, uh, there is two uh, uh, scopes. First, uh, uh, general books. I wrote a book, general book about agriculture, where I tried, which was midway between a textbook and the general view of... Uh, it took me five years, basically, because I was already tenured, so I did not bother that much. And... Uh, Uh, but I think this can be useful to give a broader view. And uh, this was mostly a, a summary of what uh, I was able to, to read from other people's books. Or another view is that the recent Ode Galore book, yeah. Ode Galore, basically what he did is to write several papers with his own view of long-term economic history and then try to... Uh, Some sum up them in a more reader-friendly uh, type of approach without all the bells, bell whistles of econometrics, uh, robustness checks, and giving to a more, a more general public the, the gist of his book or his ideas. So basically, books can be either textbooks, maybe advanced textbooks, or 
summaries of uh, uh, previous research which had been published in bits and pieces in different paper, in different uh, uh, articles and can be summed up in a more coherent way without too many details, but uh, in order to be more reader-friendly. But beyond that, uh, it seems to be very difficult to, to have... Uh, re- old-style research book like uh, Fogel, the Railroads, or Fogel, uh, Climb on the Cross, which were research books so where new research were put forward. In both cases, I was quoting new research. There's not new research, neither in textbooks by definition, nor in the Ode Galore's approach book. I mean, this uh, already published work in a, uh, in a different uh, way. Fascinating. Thank, thanks a lot for for your thoughts on this. And let me with this uh, uh, get to the end of our conversation. We're going to chat a bit longer um, uh, offline. But um, but let me thank you again, not only for taking the time to have this conversation, which has been very entertaining and and insightful, but also for writing this book. Um, you're being quite modest, but um, I think it does represent a very important effort in trying to bridge these communities that um, are somewhat uh, isolated. And, and I think that if we think again about how to think about the future of the discipline, I'm very confident that people are going to look back to this book as... Uh, a sort of milestone in the sense of how to think about the discipline and, and how the different, different agendas had uh, things in common. So thanks a lot for that. Thanks a lot for Thank being here. Thank you for your invitation. I hope to, you. To, to see you soon.